Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Or for goons. This week, Archer's Goon by Diana Wynne Jones. I don't, I don't have sounds no anymore. No sound effects today. <laughs> this book was published in 1984 and it has been requested by multiple listeners. Most recently, I just had a great Twitter conversation about it with Rebecca. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for bringing it up, putting it at the forefront of our brains. Um, I'm so so glad we read this. I so absolutely fun. loved it. Yeah. What a delight. It seemed to hit on some of my like lifelong favorite fantasy <laughs> tropes and themes. Um, so very excited to discuss. Yeah. Before that, we will mention that we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this before, I highly recommend that you run along and check it out before listening. Before getting into our discussion, we will break down the way the publisher chose to package and promote the book. Madeline, will you do the honors? Have you seen this cover yet? Yes, I've seen it online when I was doing my research. There are some great cover variations for this we'll put them all on our instagram because i love doing this for different diana and jones books um, which tend to be published in a variety of editions in different countries and have new art for um, the different versions yeah um so this is the first time i'm looking at it like up close i only saw like the little picture next to stuff mm-hmm. when i was looking um and uh, wow what a great cover <laughs> It really hits on a a form of cover art that I loved a lot when I was a kid, Um, like hyper detailed hand-drawn paintings Mm -hmm. that depict characters in, yeah, incredible, incredible specificity. Yeah, yeah, it's... so much fun i can't stop looking at it everyone's hair is so wonderful their hair is alive yeah like, waffles in particular her bangs are just straight yes, up they're just everywhere um so Very yeah spiky just like her yes we have the goon sitting at the table um it's his knee is lifting it up and uh it looks like some things are sliding off of it <laughs> um he's just like got his knife open uh and his smile he's like grinning and just kind of looking over at howard who looks very disappointed just like <laughs> what's going on with you i'm holding my violin yeah and you could see his like fringe haircut mm-hmm. that they talk about which i mm-hmm. love also um They've got the goon's jacket. He's holding its knife. There's just so many moments from the narrative that are included on the cover. Yeah, and his massive boots. They did a really good job of making him look like he looks in the book. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a really good depiction. Like, it's spot on. This cover art is by... You want to look at the back there? Uh, Mark Zug. Or or Zug. (laughs) Z-U-G. Mark Zug. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Very good job. And yeah, awful sitting there with her. Like, she's the youngest. So how old is she supposed to be? Do you remember? Mm, I don't remember. Okay. Um, Definitely younger than Howard and Howard. Oh, she's five years younger than Howard because it was when he was five and she was born that their power went out. So she's Mm -hmm. eight-ish. Yeah, and she's got her little upturned nose and a big old pout on her face, and she's just looking at the goon in in consternation. She's got a headband, and her hair is, like, poking up all around it. And just looking at her, 
um, really, it, it just feels so much like a, a kid. Um, it kind of reminds me of like my stylings a little bit mm-hmm. and like Grace's as well. Maybe a mix of ours mm-hmm. when we were little kids. It's like the big baggy sweatshirt. Oh yeah. <laughs> and sneakers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just realized Howard is also wearing like a green and black Western style shirt mm-hmm. under his, uh, under his jacket. Um, it's so wonderfully realized. It's great. It's great. I even see the little teapot in the background. Um, and uh, you you should just go look it up. I'll stop talking about it now. But <laughs> better than looking it up, why not visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com? You can see it there. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got the sparkly Diana Wynn Jones at the top and the then the title underneath it. I think the composition is also great in this picture, like the combo of title and words. Um, and they kept all of the like reviews and blurb to the back, which I also appreciate. I don't love it when books have like a, you know, a smashing success. I know. (laughs) It can only be really short. And so it's usually reduced to just a couple of adjectives and then it all feels the same. It all runs together. Every book essentially has the same blurb on the front. So yeah, Um, super exciting. And there's a really fun little excerpt at the top of the back that says face the facts this town is run by seven megalomaniac wizards i think it's really interesting (sighs) that with all of the action scenes in this book and pretty outrageous sights the moment that's depicted on the cover is the introduction of the goon and him just sitting with howard and awful in the kitchen yeah and i respect that yeah this is you know gonna be a tough book to market regardless as so many of Diana Wynne Jones's books are gone on record saying this before I think because she's difficult to classify that's one of the main reasons why especially in the United States she never became the famed icon that she the status that she rightfully deserves Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that this is a great attempt yeah yeah I've I this is one of my like favorite packaging and covers that I've seen during our podcast times, I think. Yeah. And wonderful. oh, it kind of reminds me a little bit, not not super, but a tiny bit of like the old uh, Tamara Pierce books. Those were more posed and less like mm-hmm. a scene from the books, but it... They, and prettier. They did a Whereas good job of more like... gritty. Yeah, yeah, which which makes sense because this is grittier. This is a kind of filthy book. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's cold, it's dirty, they it's hungry. Crawling around in the sewers <laughs> and yeah, just everybody gets black eyes. year old. Yeah. <laughs> just... Yeah, so many black A little bit eyes. of everything. Yeah. All of the time. So <laughs> let's get into the plot. The book opens on our protagonist, Howard Sykes, a 13-year-old boy who is fascinated by spaceships, doesn't like practicing the violin, and in general is taking life day by day, just trying to get through. As as many 12 to 13-year-olds exactly, do. as we all do, yeah. to this day. Yeah. So he lives with his father, Quentin, his mother, Catriona. Is that how you pronounce that name? I don't know. 
and his sister, whose nickname is Awful, because she is a nightmare. (laughs) In fact, every member of the family is pretty unique, and I love them as a collection of family members. Yeah. The families in Diana Wynne Jones's books, to me, always feel very real. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Um. Howard and his sister come home from school one day and they find this huge man who self-identifies as the goon sitting in their kitchen with their dad, who is a professor's um, student, teacher, TA. I, I don't know. We, we don't know exactly what her role is, but yeah. she, she rents the attic in their house. Yeah. Um, her name is Fifi. And the goon explains that he has been sent by Archer, who is at this point in the book, a sort of mysterious upper tier dude of some kind. Shadowy, yeah, upper crust figure. Presence who has some power in their town because they didn't receive the 2,000 words that Quentin, Howard's dad, typically sends every quarter, I think it is. Yeah. Um, So they haven't received the words, and the goon says he's there to get them. Um, It becomes clear that no one really knows (laughs) why they want the words, what the words do. (laughs) Quentin himself shows up from work and is like, oh, I already sent them. You didn't get them? Well, I guess I'll just do it again. He gives those to the goon and the goon isn't satisfied and says that they're too similar and it's not like it it, and it has to be completely new. They're too similar to what he did before and they won't work. And it all remains very confusing about who the words are going to, who Archer is or what's happening. So Howard begins to investigate and try to figure out what's going on as his dad becomes more and more rebellious and refuses to produce further words for anyone. So Quentin initially started writing the words because he was having terrible writer's block and Mountjoy suggested that he have this promise to write him these 2000 words every quarter and that that would somehow help. And it has Quentin hasn't had writer's block since he's a professor and a writer, yeah. um, a published author, but not a very um, successful one. Turns out he's not making very much money yeah. at all. The family has financial struggles. Catriona is a music expert slash educator of some kind, some kind who music senpai. watches children's like orchestra practices and um, optimizes them. And everyone like really respects <laughs> And she's her. really good at her job and yeah. people really appreciate her. But yeah, fast, but she, fascinating career. She's the main moneymaker for the family. Yes, yeah. She is a talented musician and educator. When the goon and Howard are talking to Mountjoy after bullying their way through all of City Hall and popping into every room to <laughs> find him. in a, a mad parade. Um, Mountjoy hints at the fact that there are these seven people that run the town that each have a different sector that they're in charge of. And also that they farm. Yeah, they refer to it as farming, that piece of the town. So it's like, okay, so these are their names and their jobs. Dillion? I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's just Dillion with an I. I I thought Dillion. Dillion? Yeah. 
Dillian, and they're all siblings. Yeah. Dillian farms Law and Order. Shine farms crime. Erskine farms industry and sewers. Archer farms power. And also like banks. <laughs> There's some some of them double up. I don't know. Archer seems like he's the richest. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it makes money sense and that he's power. in charge of the bank. Oh, okay. Yeah. Money and power. Um Torquil. 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 Torquil is what I thought. I don't yeah. know. Um farms uh a bunch of different things mainly music but then also athletics and also shops and also religion dancing <laughs> i think that falls under music yeah, yeah um because he's the bishop right yeah or something <laughs> he, lives he dresses like one and he lives in the church yeah. so i don't know a, yeah he, he dresses like bonkers and then and arabian night style right yeah. exactly and then those five are the ones that are very present in the town then there are two who are a little more mysterious and one is hathaway and he farms transportation um and roads buses and then like historical record mm-hmm. because the museum is his purview. Yeah. And then Venturis farms education. Okay. Yeah. And there's a note that all seven farm taxes, which is really funny to me because it's like, yeah, just tax everyone seven times over. That's, <laughs> that's how it should work. Yeah. So I wondered like, is anyone, I mean, taxes in England are very high. So maybe, they're just like uh, they're just taking pieces out of the taxes and of each of the sectors right yeah. yeah and then the government is just getting shafted a little bit yeah and i think that's how they're all so involved with quentin as well because this offer that he entered into it, it was an exchange for him not having to pay taxes which nobody knows about until much later that's yeah, very funny what a mess he yeah. he is just a big old mess in every possible way yeah so at that point um howard is also being followed by a teen and like a gang of boys who Minions. seem intent on beating up him and awful yeah um he's feeling very threatened but the goon is kind of acting as their bodyguard and taking them to school and taking them home and keeping them safe yeah and um, the goon is kind of uh he's very physically intimidating so you know, unsurprisingly, those the gang of youths doesn't want to mess with them when when the goon is around. Yeah. So they're but at the same time, they're trying to carry out this investigation and figure out what's going on. So their first step is to go see Dillian, who they're able to find through Fifi, the student at the the grad student at the university through one of her friends who's well, not friends, but colleagues who's also a grad student um who is in cahoots with Dillian to some extent because they're trying to figure out what happened to Quentin's initial words that he submitted because those seem to be the ones that the goon wants yeah um and Dillian is scary she's a very beautiful lady living in a weird castle who tries to drug them from snacks yeah Yeah. for sure um and also tries to get information out of them and they're very put off by her and are, are like okay what is going on? This is a lot bigger than we maybe realized. Yeah. Then at that point, they go to see Archer um, because Dillian did have the words at some point. Um, 
and then she she pretends to give them to Howard, but tricks him yeah, and he doesn't, doesn't get them back. So they're like, okay, let's go see Archer. He's the one whose name has been bandied about the most. And it's being written all over the town. <laughs> also, Archer's <laughs> name is appearing on walls. So that seems like it's pointing them in the right direction. Um, so they go to meet Archer, who is this very wealthy, eccentric, power-hungry man who is... Uh, sitting in a gleaming technological palace um, and rides around in like a little scoop <laughs> carries him around and pops hamburgers through a shoot whenever he wants one it's he's got it going on yeah at first I thought that he was just doing the hamburgers for the kids but then later on he's, later he's, he's still eating, eating hamburgers <laughs> yeah so that that's just like his food yeah that's yeah. just his source which of I life. respect um and Archer reveals that he is trapped in the town and that he and his siblings are all trapped in the town. And he thinks that Quentin's words have something to do with it. And he wants to leave because he wants to farm the world, a.k.a. Yeah. take over the world. So Howard's like, oh, boy, <laughs> I don't feel like that's a good thing. Yeah. But I'm so implicated in this now and I'm not sure what to do next. So... At this point, the other power siblings are putting their um, intimidation tactics into play to try to get Quentin to write for each of them. Yeah. So they're each using whatever force they have against the Sykes family. So the road in front of their house is being removed and turned into a moat. There are big bands being sent past their house all hours of the day. The TV is constantly blaring different sounds and then also messages like Archer is watching you and all kinds of stressful Just constant stuff. chaos um they run into torquil who farms yeah music at all as i said earlier and he tries to intimidate them and refers to howard as a limpet boy um and his mom since she works in music he threatens that he'll take her job away if they don't give him the words. Um, everyone has their own special sort of blackmail that they're trying to enact to get Quentin to write. Quentin, meanwhile, refuses to do any of it. Yeah. And at this point, their house has no power. They don't have any money because their accounts have all been frozen. They're borrowing food from neighbors and, and doing their best to cook it on fires in the backyard. And I think that borrowing means just across the board. If they say borrowing food, that means they stole it. Yeah. Because they say like their neighbors get grumpy about the borrowing. And I didn't get the... Uh, impression that it was because they were giving them the well, food. Well, I think at <laughs> one point they were, and then okay. I do think that they escalate to, yeah, I mean, they can't they can't do anything. No, for so sure. They, they have no other choice. I thought it was pretty funny when it was just like eating some borrowed this and some borrowed that. <laughs> it's all just stolen. <laughs> yep. Um, so at this point, Howard and Awful meet Shine uh, because they're, they're both interested in meeting each member of the family. Uh, the power family, I don't know what to call them, um, to try to figure out what's going on. But they're also being warned by the goon and by other sources that different ones are more unsavory than others. And Shine farms crime, so yeah. that does seem like a particularly dangerous person to meet. And then they're kidnapped and trapped by Shine. 
um, to try to force them to help her and give her the words. Um, They do manage to escape. And then at that point, that's when they go to the museum, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so at the goon helps them escape. The goon is helping them throughout. And really, even though the goon came as quote unquote archer's henchman initially, seems to act as his own sort of independent yeah. figure. Yeah, it's becoming apparent that he may not actually be beholden to anyone. No, yeah, he mm. has his own whims. He falls in love with Fifi, who has fallen in love with Archer, yeah. and the goon is very lovesick, and he just keeps living at the Sykes house. Even though they don't have food there. or money. Or space. Or He's a room. So giant. Yeah, he yeah. takes out the entire kitchen. Um, it's, as I said, a real mess. At this point, they go to try to meet Hathaway um, because they, at this point, they've met everyone other than Hathaway, Venturis, and Erskine. Yes. Um, So they go by figuring out, by looking at a school project, Howard is able to figure out what part of town Hathaway might be located in um, because of the location of the museum, since he has to do with records. So they go to the museum and go back in time through a door Mm -hmm. and meet Hathaway, who's living hundreds of years in history. And spend an hour there with him. They're not allowed to stay longer. They'll be ancient when they come back. And he hints at a bunch of things, but more explicitly tells them that he also doesn't know what has to do with the words, um, but that he'll help with some of the problems that they've been facing, like the street being dug up. And he'll he'll stop because those were his dudes. Right. So he'll stop doing that. Because he kind of got swept up in all of this and each of the siblings doesn't really know what's happening, but they're trying to stop some of the other siblings. So that all comes to a head with the Sykes because they're in the center in some way that nobody really understands. Yeah. So Hathaway says a few important things. He looks at the family genealogy Mm -hmm. and tells Howard that he's adopted. Um, He's not actually the biological son of Quentin and Catriona. Mm -hmm. Catriona. Um, He also says that he will fix the problem with the overdue tax bill that Quentin just received, saying that he owes 26,000 pounds in taxes because he hasn't been paying them for all of these years. Um, And then he, he hints that Venturus and Erskine are people that they should maybe be focusing on because yeah. he said that they look up to Archer and imitate him mm. and that the three of them have some kind of connection. Yeah. So now it's time for them to go see Erskine. They've heard that Venturus lives in the future. So they're like, okay, I don't know how to do that. Erskine's in the sewers. So that's going to be a lot more straightforward. And the goon says he'll take them. So they slog through the sewers for a long time. Howard is wearing a boot with a hole in it, so his boot is full of raw sewage. And they ultimately come up into a sort of industrial wasteland. And at that point, the goon reveals that he is Erskine. Yep. Um, because he tells them, well, the only way I can cross the town boundary is through the sewer. And then they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> 
He demands the words for himself. He's been helping them, yes, but it's been for his own purposes as well. And he imprisons them in a little earthen mound. At this point, the leader of the bully gang that works for Shine, who has been following them throughout the entire book, saves them um, because he's developed a sort of grudging respect for Howard, who also made clear to him that Shine has been hypnotizing him into helping her, um, as opposed to actually earning his loyalty. Um, So they escape. They decide that they have to figure out where Venturus is and Howard goes to do that on his own while the rest of his family um, hides and hides out. Yeah. At the... At the ginger, at Ginger Hines. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know his actual name. They just call him Ginger because he's redheaded yep. um, at Ginger Hines' house. Howard figures out that Venturus Farms education, he lives in the future, and there is a half-constructed building that's being added on to the university where his father works. So he decides he's going to try to enter that space and also progress through time as he does so. Mm-hmm. And he manages to accomplish this. He ages up um, a, how many? so how many years is it? It would be... It's... Well, it's been 26 since the thing started happening, but I wonder if it's supposed to be 13. Because... Because he's going, like, because he keeps losing 13 years. We don't know how old he was when he first went back. Okay. He becomes an adult as he moves forward into the future. He's very, very tall and wears his hair in a way that he does not enjoy. (laughs) He's like, no, my fringe. (laughs) (laughs) And then in this ridiculous temple that he's in, he finds an incredible spaceship that has been built using technologies that don't exist yet and is being worked on by a team of polite little robots. Yeah, like little droids kind of. And at this point, he uses a little screen and presses the buttons and is able to put calls through to the other siblings. Mm -hmm. So it's very clear that this is Venturis's lair. And then it's clear to the reader when each of the people he puts calls through to are like, you! Yeah. (laughs) That he Mm -hmm. is Venturis. Howard is Venturis. And he went back in time to accidentally become a baby. Okay, I can explain this. It's just hard to explain. Yeah. So Venturis is the youngest of the siblings. When he grew older and gained his powers, came into his powers, he was exactly the same as Howard. They're the same person. He wanted an incredible spaceship, but the technology didn't exist yet to his satisfaction so that he could create a spaceship of his dreams. Mm. So he went into the future so that he could access better spaceship technology. And so he could get it right. And then he spent a year and a half in the future working on his spaceship. Then he tried to go back to his regular time and life and inadvertently babied himself, became a baby again. Became a little baby. um, And was found and adopted by Howard and Catriona. Then when he hit 13 and regained his powers, regained his memory, realized what had happened, he did the same thing again and then also became a baby (laughs) again. So his siblings are all very upset because they've all been trapped in this loop along with him. Because they're supposed to take care of him. Exactly. And to other people, they they haven't lived it 
memorably the way that the siblings have. They know it's actually been 26 years. Everyone else thinks it's 13. So people are tired and frustrated. (laughs) So Howard is like, okay, what now? Because at this point, Erskine slash the goon has also come into his temple and is talking to him. And he's realizing that he and Erskine are actually on the same side because the two of them and some of the other siblings want to stop the power hungry siblings who are interested in farming the world from doing so. So the bad guys are Dillian, Archer and Shine. And then everyone else is on the side of wanting to stop them. So (laughs) I'm going to just kind of cut to the chase They hatch a plan to work together and trap the three baddies in the spaceship and send them off into space. And Fifi. And Fifi. (laughs) Yeah, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. I, wow. Yeah, quite a moral quandary. Yeah. um, That the leads do not discuss at all. But they I mean, she definitely loves Archer, but... They succeed in their plan. Uh, Ventress slash Howard programs everything to a minute level of detail so that the spaceship can't return to Earth. Its course is set for Alpha Centauri, Centauri, and once you enter it, you can't leave. So he's imprisoned them in the spaceship for the rest of their lives. And, um, and they also he also manages to trick his dad into still thinking that his words were the actual meaning behind everything that's happened when, in fact, they were just a red herring. They were nothing. Um, it was just an exercise that was set for him by a well-meaning person at one point and then it just got tangled up in everyone's understandings of what was going on right um and i'm pretty sure that alpha centauri is not a planet but a star a star i know um, they're not being so sent to a new place to live that concerned me like are they j- i mean it's millions of light years away so they'll be dead before they get there well but and they're is evil, just supposed to fly into a star i mean and they're evil wizards so i just what do you do with an evil wizard that you can't kill and and also there's some some minions that got on board and as well and a couple minions because Quentin was like oh we have to have an even amount of men and women on this spaceship that's going to fly into a star in a million Quinn, years so <laughs> so ridiculous yeah. problematic king Quentin's yes yes i yeah and when he uh, finds out that archer is farming from taxes he gets so self-righteous and then you find out later that he has never paid taxes, taxes and he hid it from his wife <laughs> okay so that's yeah that's the end quentin they they have quentin write exactly what's happening as everything they've laid into place happens so that he thinks that he's the mastermind <laughs> drills at all um and that's the end of the book and erskine slash the goon says he wants quentin to teach him how to write a book and i would like to read the goon's book much more than any of quentin's books and it it indicates that um the goon's uh romantic future will be with uh awful Awful. because she ages up when she comes into the future briefly and is hot (laughs) She's well. She's older, yeah. But she's, right. They also yeah, no, say she's that she's very pretty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
much goofy stuff. Yeah. Which that, that feels like it makes a lot more sense to me versus mm-hmm. the goon and Fifi. Like I always wanted to be like, goon, you're not That's right not for a Fifi. Good match, and she's not no. right for you. Yeah. yeah. So I liked the the little thing being like, oh, I mean, after the goon comes back from his travels, he and Awful are probably gonna be a thing. And Howard slash Ventress decides that he needs to stick around, live out his life at his current age and pace and help raise awful to not be like shine or like venturous and help raise himself to not be venturous because he's so repulsed by all of the plans that venturous had laid like the bad and he made a temple with statues of himself and like just some really egregious um big-headed nonsense yeah it's funny that they they get on torquil i mean he does literally dress like a pharaoh Mm -hmm. um but in fact it's venturous who truly seeks to be a pharaoh in the in the future yeah and i get the sense that torquil just more has a sense for the a flair for the dramatic yeah i think he's i mean obviously he's, he's a just, showman he's very flamboyant mm-hmm. yeah he's he's very much a showman like mm-hmm. he's he's got that like circus ringleader energy mm-hmm. yeah but you find you know you continually find out as the book goes along that he's actually not a bad guy at all yeah yeah so, um, that's what happens in this book. Okay, so old and new impressions. I don't think either of us read this. I have not read this book. Yeah, and I'm really sad I didn't when I was younger that's because it was amazing. And like I said, it really hit a lot of the sweet spots that I've always held and favored with um, YA fantasy. Yeah, This famously... Um, Neil Gaiman has said is um, one of his favorite children's books ever. Ah, One of his favorite Diana Wynne Jones books. And that's saying something because there's another one in which a character is modeled after him. Yeah. Um, Deep Secret. And I really understand why. So one series that this made me think of a lot that I love very dearly is the Wayside School books by Lewis Sacker. Down to the art on the cover. Yeah. There's really a lot of elements um, that are very similar between the two. The main being that different um, intangible concepts are made real in really interesting ways. And as soon as we got to the different siblings farming these entities um and making them concrete in this way yeah uh i loved that so much very tickled by it um and it leads to so many moments of just sheer comedic brilliance um, throughout the book i kept stopping to actually picture the visual of the chaos the wayside school books too i think felt familiar to me because of the way that the different siblings are each such an outsized character. Yeah. Um, it felt like the different kids right. uh, in Mrs. Jules or Miss Jules class. Yeah. <laughs> I love Wayside School so much and I've reread them as an adult and they <laughs> hold up. Yeah. I think Lewis Sucker is a genius, honestly, yeah, and I will books. spend my life trying to rip him off. All right. Um, <laughs> We're, uh, we're going to want to get rid of that direction. if a copyright lawsuit ever <laughs> appears. <laughs> Grace Harnoy's book, <laughs> Down Low School. <laughs> um, and then the other piece that I really loved is that 
the book is really about um, sibling relationships oh, and yeah. being a good sibling <laughs> in in a way that helps you grow and also helps your family members grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you can probably tell from this entire project, we care a lot about sibling <laughs> relationships. <laughs> And my relationship with you and with our brother is so, so, so important to me. And with Um, our little baby sister, Issa. And with our little baby, Issa. Um, And uh, I loved that that was really hit on time and time again, not just between the seven siblings and in them coming back together after not speaking for years like Hathaway and Torquil reconnecting was really genuinely sweet (laughs) and made me a little emotional because it turns out like they really loved each other yeah everyone just was really misunderstanding one another and they've been trapped in like a hellish time loop so that's gonna have an impact on your relationships and they they didn't know who was doing it yeah but then also the relationship between Howard and Awful um, which is really lovely like I said, I think Diana Wynne Jones writes families so well and so realistically yeah. while making really fun characters at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Howard and Awful on the surface are very annoyed by one another, but they also really look out for one another. And Howard has such a sense of responsibility in making sure that she's okay. Mm-hmm. Although he does let her get drunk. Um, but we'll talk about that in <laughs> pretend food. Um, <laughs> And I... It was in the past, Grace. They can't drink the water there. (laughs) Yeah. The only option is strawberry wine, (laughs) which sounds delicious. Yeah, honestly, it does. Um, And I really loved that. It, It was just... It was just very sweet. And also, especially when you're in a family where your parents aren't... I won't say inept exactly, because Catriona is doing everything she can, but she's very... Um, she's laid laid asunder by all of the things that are happening. Like she yeah, can't, she gets sick. She's sickened by the horrible noise and she's a musician and already has very sensitive ears. Yeah. Um, so she's just very addled by it. And then Quentin is a disaster. And he yeah. says at one point, my entire mission in life is to be a passenger. <laughs> Yeah, and Howard identifies it after he says that. He's like, ah, dad's being a passenger again. again. I know, that was so funny. He's just not helping. That was so funny. Um, And Quentin expresses that, not really by being a passenger. He's being like an active roadblock and also like a leech on society. Yes. (laughs) Um, he's, He's just really a nightmare. And then when he is interested in talking he just pontificates to the point that he drives everyone away and like ruins carefully laid plans um but so with parents like that it's even more important that howard and awful take good care of one another and i love that howard's driving motivation at the end of the book is to not like attempt to make more spaceships which he has thought has been his lifelong goal but to stay and help see that awful grows into a healthy person and that he takes care of himself too and grows into a healthy person because he gets the hindsight the value of having that hindsight of being back in the past and knowing what he became and getting to say let's do that over yeah like let's not do that this time so i thought all of that was explored really well and through this super fun goofy um, just absolute madcap narrative. Yeah. 
Yeah. What were your impressions? I uh, loved all the characters. Goon was my favorite from the very beginning. I I was bummed when it when I found out that he was Erskine because I thought that maybe it was going to turn out that he was a bad guy, especially when he was chasing them with all of his minions. But then it felt very correct when he came around and you found out that it was just because he was furious mm-hmm. at Howard, who he realized was Venturist. Yeah. Um, because he thought that he he was rightful rightfully angry. <laughs> but like, yeah. you know, Howard at that time as a child again. Um I loved Awful so much. I was I was telling Grace earlier, um, after she gets drunk and the goon is is just like carrying her back and she's alternatively like at one point she just staggers to a stop and it's like no one really loves me. <laughs> and then like shortly after is giggling and she's like laying on the museum floor saying, like, I wanna be sick. I wanna be sick. Or it's just like, no, 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 no. No, you're not. As the museum curator just looks down on them, like, yeah. we're, in the, we're in the middle children. of closing. <laughs> Could you please leave? Yeah, and then when Goon is carrying her bag, she's like alternatively like kicking, and you know, it, it describes like her arms and legs waving, and that she immediately passes out. And she's insulting everyone, and yep. then saying, and then switching, and be like, "No, you're a nice, Goon." Yeah. <laughs> Because she sees that she hurt the goon's feelings mm-hmm. by saying that she he's prefers Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's he's one of those rare characters in disguise throughout a book that doesn't feel false when it's yeah. revealed. I feel like we did get to see real sides of him. Yeah, and because uh, Howard thinks at one point, too, he's like, oh, it turns out the goon... Erskine didn't have much pretending to do to be the exactly. like he's actually yeah. that's actually very similar to just how he is. And um, he was saying that in a kind of mean way at that point because he was continuing his kind of monosyllabic speaking. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's much deeper than that. And the goon slash Erskine is very intelligent yeah. also. Yeah. He was just pretending to be um, kind of, uh, what would you say? Just like a big lumbering goon. <laughs> You know, there's no <laughs> better term. Yeah. I uh, liked the way in the book that school was just kind of, it was like something you needed to get through in yeah. order to get back to what you wanted to be doing, which is really how I felt about school for um, a lot of my life. Uh, you know, later education, I enjoyed much more like college and law school, but prior to that like high school and also before that when I was in Catholic school like I hated being at school um because I like didn't have a lot of friends and like the friends that I did have were not healthy so I really identify with Howard um you know when he's supposed to be practicing his violin and he's just kind of like scraping it while he's thinking about what he really wants to be thinking about which at the time was spaceships he's actually entering a sort of meditative state because he says he disconnects his brain yeah (laughs) yeah he can get through the violin practice that he has to do Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't ever doodling spaceships, but I was always doodling something or other in my books and my notebooks Mm -hmm. and everything. Or like, (laughs) I remember in religion class, um, you know, in seventh and eighth grade, I'd be like drawing bug eyes on Jesus and like giving everyone like 
uh, you know, the tongue hanging out face. So just like, <laughs> put some good <laughs> devil horns on a religious yes. figure depicted in a religion textbook. Let me tell you, it feels great. Yes, especially when you're angry because your teacher just said like, you know, uh, God loves whales and birds very much, but he like he would rather save a human than a whole pod of whales. And I was just sitting there thinking how incredibly stupid that was because like yeah. whales are much better at living in harmony with, you know, their environment and with their ecosystem and humans mm-hmm. just just mess everything up. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the beginning of the end for me as far as uh, traditional religion. Cause I, I was like, well that doesn't square well with me. Mm-hmm. So anyways, clearly I found um, Howard and awful, both extremely relatable. Um, Howard's band practice also super <laughs> relatable. Um, I love that he actually looks at it objectively because his mom is coming to listen to him. And he's like, and he's like Oh, Oh no. We sound bad. <laughs> really bad. And the way like each different section is like rushing to get to just, the end. <laughs> or like I that that was perfectly articulated yeah. because as someone who did school band yeah. for many years, that mm-hmm. is exactly what more difficult pieces would feel like. Like yeah. we were all just like, oh god, oh god, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do this. Yeah. Um and <sighs> especially <laughs> about the drummer when it was like the drummer you know actually or finished last of all or something because he hadn't hit his drums because <laughs> he never found his place um, and there was there was one time that was truly written from experience it yeah. was perfect yeah and it it also helps me feel better because I was I was like so anxious when I was at that age um, and I liked music and I liked doing it, but Mm -hmm. it became, um, a negative feedback loop in my head because I didn't practice as much as I should have. And then I, you know, in band, I would just be like angrily telling myself, like, everyone knows you didn't practice and you sound horrible, but like no one sounded great. It was, you know, school band. We were all in sixth grade, (laughs) but there was one where the band teacher, asked me to play drums for the younger band segment Mm. in a piece. And I didn't, I, you know, I wasn't a drummer, but she was just like, well, if you know, you're, you're good enough at flute that like the rhythm's all you need. Mm -hmm. You you just play drums with that. And I was just kind of like, okay, like I don't, you can't just become a percussionist. (laughs) Right. I'd never been a percussionist in my life. And she told me to do that. And I, I thought I did a decent job. And then after I was the only drummer for it. And then after when the teacher was like addressing the room with her little, you know, between songs or whatever. She was like, the kids love that one. There's, there's so much just like hammering away and smashing on those drums. And I was just like, (laughs) dude, you asked me to do this and now you are roasting me in front of an entire gym of my peers and their parents. Oh my God. God. Yeah. That, that piece of like an observer being there, making you realize what the music actually sounds like too. Yeah. 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 I've, (laughs) so it it just, that's just cruel though. I know. I know. I was really bummed about that. Thank you for saying it's cruel. (laughs) It is. is. I mean, I think young music performances are like, to bring out some of the worst to that point experiences in your life. I've had many of my own. Um, 
And, uh, you know, one day I just came to terms with the fact that, like, I love music. I've tried to learn a lot of different instruments. I'm not gifted. I'm not musically gifted. And I have to really work at it constantly to be good. And if I don't have the time and commitment, I am not good. And I mean, it just takes a lot of work, period, mm-hmm. to learn an instrument. Like yeah. you literally, you have to like build up calluses on your body and like well, it's... depending much. on the instrument. Yeah, I will, because are I... You, are, were you calloused as no, a flute? No calluses <laughs> with flute, but it, your mouth gets weird um, because yeah. of the repetitive muscle memory oh, of, yeah. you know, blowing mm-hmm. over the little hole. And I, I did I get... I have an indent from my read from your saxophone and i i have some sensory processing issues so it's it's it wasn't too enjoyable for me from that standpoint because it's also gross your instrument gets full of spit like you clean it and then it feels nice yeah but it drips out the bottom of the instrument while you're playing like in the not i'm not saying that you know it's different with a saxophone it holds it in there for you So anyways, (laughs) clearly, because this book made me think Uh, about so much in my own childhood and and tween years, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't in like a triggering way. It was more in like a a retrospective kind of like uh, thinking about it with a lot more older perspective way. Totally. Yeah. I've been working on that a lot lately and being able to look back on periods of my life without um, just full body cringing the entire time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, for me, it's college that was really, really bad times. Mm. So being able to remember it and think about it without just wallowing in regret and anxiety, mm-hmm. um, is great. And even being able to reflect on some positive moments because they're there no matter what period of your life you're in. So being able to access those is awesome. And this book was a really good access point. Yeah. 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 Highly recommend. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. You should read it. You listener. (laughs) Um, so animals, just like animals in this book. book. There was chickens. (laughs) We don't have like a sidekick or anything like that, no, which is no very, or... um, I would argue is pretty Diana Wynne Jonesy. She usually doesn't have animals in the mix. Because her humans are are like so complex. Yeah, she just delves into the human characters. Yeah. There. They don't really need animals to make them relatable. It's much more common in fantasy that there's going to be like fun animal characters around Mm -hmm. possibly who have like human personalities Mm -hmm. and can talk and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if because Diana is so interested in combining worlds in all of her work that there's. And I mean, just look at the complexities of the twists and secrets in this plot in this book, which I would argue is like one of her more straightforward books, actually, um, comparatively yeah. so. Yeah, uh, that's a good point compared to her other. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all taking place within a town within a single town and conceptually travel in place we do travel in time um but not that much but not that far yeah it's not like the homeward (laughs) bounders kind of far in the past but yeah in a in a predictable way yeah and really the the scope is smaller than in a lot of her books yeah um because they want to farm the world but they're all just stuck in this town 
I'm, yeah, I'm curious as well. I feel like this is one of the Diana Wynne Jones books that just has less written about it, less said about it. Um, and it doesn't always come up when people are talking about their favorite books of hers. Mm. Um, I wonder if, so for one thing, it is standalone. Um, and a lot right. of her works okay. are interconnected in different ways or part of series. Like series or at least, you know. Um, or yeah, yeah lo- loosely connected through char- a character or something like that. Right. Um, this book was nominated for the 1985 World Fantasy Award for Best Novel um, and was an ALA notable children's book and Best Book for Young Adults and a Boston Globehorn Book Award honor book. I, I don't know Boston that one. Boston Globehorn, you <laughs> say. <laughs> um, so it was definitely recognized and awarded, but in looking at some of the reception, I think there are... Um, people saying that it gets a little complex was uh, it was it marketed too much as like a, a young kids book in which I like don't know. it totally I could no, be no and way I to know when i was a, a young kid i didn't have a problem with books being too complex in the plot as long as i could scan what was happening like as long as the writing wasn't at a level where i was just like ah, mm-hmm. this is boring i don't care you know like i I couldn't read like Dune or something when I was a kid. Like I said, though, I really think I would have enjoyed this as a kid. And it was just complicated and twisty enough that you can get some of the reader satisfaction of like the moment when I realized Howard was Venturous was very fun. Because you see you realize what's going on like just before it's revealed Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases, which is super fun. And that's a really delicate balance. I think most authors go too far in one or the other direction. It's too... Mm -hmm obtuse and you can't figure it out or it's just so obvious. It's just really obvious. So it's not like as fun when you get the reveal. Let's talk about romantic realism and use it as a segment to discuss the character of Fifi. Okay. Um, So she was, yeah, I did not get what was going on with Fifi. She was tough for me, um, especially because all of the other characters are so well realized. And she just wasn't, there wasn't much about her. I feel like Diana was not very interested in Fifi. Yeah. Um, No one was really. Except for Archer. No one really seemed to care about her. Um, The goon And she didn't really seem to care about them. Right. And I guess there is the piece of like, okay, well, she's just a boarder. Like, she's not a family member, but she's as swept up in this situation as any of the rest of them. And, the way and that she's she fundamental initially in yeah. helping Howard and Awful start figuring out what's going on. But then she's sidelined once she falls in love with Archer, which I'm also confused by. By I guess it's just his looks that she likes. And like his confidence. He is very powerful. Money. Got a fancy car. Yeah. He's got his scoop <laughs> thing in his weird workshop where his, he hangs out. His scoop thing. Um, yeah. Just like a badly written female character in some ways. And she seemed... Yeah. Where she's very driven by her romantic interests. Yeah. And it's kind of all she cares about. Yeah, and I thought it fades into the background. And granted, there was a lot going on and there's not a lot of time for Fifi, but it was weird how she just kind of went away until the end when they damn her to space isolation for the rest of her life. Yep. Because they need to use her as a pawn. And like, you know, obviously she and Archer are very in love, but, you know, I I don't know if I... (laughs) Are they? (laughs) I mean... 
They, know, I mean, they act known each like other they are. for a very short amount of time. That's my main concern. No, no, totally. Yeah. Like, that's, it's really weird how, like, after three days of mm-hmm. hanging out with him, she comes back. She's like, back I'm moving like, out. We are going We're to get married. married. Yeah. And it's just like, no, girl, you got you to gotta make it past the honeymoon stage and then see if it's going to stick. Well, then I'm <laughs> concerned that the extreme discomfort of living in the Sykes home maybe spurred her onto that decision. She could have rented a room Uh, elsewhere. She didn't have to stay in the attic. Yeah. I honestly, I don't even have that much to say about Fifi because... And I think it would be... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I I don't have that much to say about her. I just kind of stopped paying attention to her once it became apparent that because the book, the book didn't stopped paying attention to her anymore. Yeah. Well, and I think it would be different if the goon didn't also fall in love with her and it's like she only existed to be the object of male gaze but she's like also not aesthetically remarkable so it was just very um confusing and then and then yeah she gets arguably the worst outcome for any character um because the others have they're evil yeah. Um, and they've also some of them have indicated that they like to like go be in a spaceship <laughs> and they'll be off in the heavens somewhere so they can, you know, maybe well, get lord it over his, us all there. Right. Exactly. Um, but Fifi, as far as we can tell, you know, she wants to do well in school. And I don't know graduate program, but I'm not even sure. I don't even know what graduate program she was in. I don't know. Yeah. This weird way we learn more about Maisie Potter, that student, than we do about Fifi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah a strange character. And I guess all of that serves it, us being okay with her going in the spaceship, maybe just as readers, not as human beings. But you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. She's like a damsel in distress. And it would have been a lot better if if we had a little bit more intel on Fifi, like understood her and Archer's relationship or like at least had some indication from her like, oh, yes, I'd love to be in a spaceship someday. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I do so long for Alpha Centauri. <laughs> to be confined in a metal tube with <laughs> with horrible people until I die. <laughs> it's just like Buster. Yes! I love soup. <laughs> if I could lay around in bed all day and eat soup, I would. Never let me die. Never let me die. <laughs> that's what i was thinking just of too. like buster yeah i don't know i, I don't know I, 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 I have no conclusion so yeah we're, i'm really curious for those of you listening who have read this i mean thoughts? all of you <laughs> i'm really curious let us know what you think about fifi because maybe we're missing something and I, I had an inkling at one point when Quentin was like, well, we have to match, like we have to have an equal amount of women and men on the yeah. ship. And I was like, that's very gender binary of you, Quentin. But very also, like Noah <laughs> of you. It's just very weird. And that's, yeah, I thought maybe biblical. it was like, yeah. well, maybe they're all supposed to procreate with right, each other. Right, but, And but, like make a civilization on the ship. We so don't that, want them making a civilization and what's the end goal? Burning up Plunging into a massive star. <laughs> no, no. In a million years. <sighs> okay. I don't know. So yeah, that wraps up romantic realism. <laughs> Let us know. Super curious. I would love to uh, yeah, and hear I, from y'all. I felt much more like the building friendship between Awful and Goon mm-hmm. was, even though she was like eight years old, nine years old, because it's like, yeah. oh, in the future... 
Like it's maybe they'll have something, but not until she's older. Like, I, yeah. Even with that weird dynamic, mm-hmm. I felt like better about that relationship yeah, than about Fifi and Archer. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. There are multiple Diana and Jones books where there are relationships with people who meet when one is young and then there's either a time jump mm-hmm. or some kind of like magic that goes on. Like that happens in fire and hemlock. Yeah. Um, and I'm also thinking about that moment at the beginning of the book when the goon is in the kitchen and everyone's still kind of scared of him. And Phoebe's like, awful, don't annoy him. And he's like, can't annoy me. No one has yet. And I was like, ah, they're perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, no, totally. wasn't thinking of it romantically at that point. Pretend food? Pretend food. A lot of peanut butter. I love that they subsist on peanut butter sandwiches as a family. Yeah. Um, until they start, yeah, cooking stolen meat over a campfire in their backyard. <laughs> everyone like has such a willingness. Yeah, everyone has such a willingness to just go along with the situation. Yeah. Um, That's why I kept being like, why don't they just leave? leave. Like, why don't they just go on a vacation for they, a week? Because they can leave town. Right. They're not like the others. Although I'm sure that... I, so I think part of it is Howard genuinely has a sense of like, I need to help fix this because he's the one who right. keeps mentioning, to his credit, he's the, like, the only one thinking about like the other people in the town and making sure that they're safe when yeah. the other powerful siblings are like throwing their tantrums. Tantrums, yeah. Um and like breaking water and gas lines and stuff. Which, you know, can cause actual death or bodily harm. Yeah, so he feels responsibility there and wants to take care of it. And also the goon is just going to follow them. So I guess that's the bigger piece. They have a very large rock that's stuck to them. A sticky rock. A boulder. (laughs) There's a metaphor for ya. Yeah, so they largely eat peanut butter sandwiches initially and tea, tea, um, including the mug that the goon scrapes his clue into to try to tell Howard that he's Venturis, um, which was so confusing to me, using a knife to etch letters into a ceramic mug and I know that we're being shown that his knife is like magical in some way when it's happening but it makes no sense so it was like breaking my brain a little bit you know what I mean I wonder if it had something to do with the time loop but I couldn't figure out what like if maybe he actually did did it a long time Hmm. ago I don't know Hmm, maybe he but says yeah. at the end that he's been planning this for 13 years so it's been the re-life right. the entire time mm-hmm. I don't know um, we have uh, the disgusting tea that Awful likes to make for her parents which wonderfully reminded me of the time that our brother <laughs> <laughs> just like straight up poisoned our dad's food like an entire bottle Tabasco. of Tabasco sauce into his post restaurant dinner coffee Oh my god! Yeah, it was it was also a hot beverage. Oh yes. my god! Yeah, and Dad drank it, and then he he just looked at Patrick. It was like I'm in pain. <laughs> Patrick, little Patrick's just dying laughing. He was so happy. Dad was so pissed. Yeah, I, I went right back to that moment with um yeah. Quentin asks Awful to make him tea, and he says, with boiling water and two tea bags and only milk in the cup, curry, mustard, pepper, and vinegar are strictly forbidden. 
they do get some delicious looking sandwiches at Dillian's, but they're not supposed to eat them. And when Howard does eat them, he just feels bad and gets befuddled. But I would fall prey to a sandwich as well. I mean, a cute little tea sandwich. How do you say no? Involuntary eating for me. It's already in my mouth. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's too late. Then there are Archer's bizarre little shoot hamburgers that come out into his scoop through a little tube. He also gives them fish and chips that sounded so good that it's like perfectly crispy and delicious somehow, even though it just shot out of a tube. Right. Um, And Awful is wonderfully demanding while they're in there too, being like, "Mm, I need some chips. I need chips to wash this down. Hamburger. (laughs) Hathaway gives them like... 1600s cakes which are um not fun for mm-hmm. someone yeah from he gives them like gross cakes that they don't enjoy because they're very like seeded yeah there's probably very cakes. little sugar right. in them. yeah um, but then when he sees that they're not enjoying them he kind of like doctors them up and yeah. makes them chocolate yeah and tastier yeah um and gives them the aforementioned strawberry wine um which awful at first is put off by but then drinks most of and Howard takes it away from her um and Howard drinks a little bit too but not too he doesn't awful like the spiciness extent. of it because <clears throat> it's like spiced strawberry wine but that leads to I, mean, I really wanted to try it I I'm not of course I'm not interested in making eight-year-olds drunk or hungover in any way but this is a f- book <laughs> This is fiction. And when Awful is hungover, and and it is just so good. When Awful's hungover and they're in the sewer traipsing through, and at first she's like, I like this place. And then after hours of being in the sewer, Howard's like, How do you feel about it now? And she's like, I still like it. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, And when she comes down that morning and is just so mean to everyone, I can relate. Been there. Then we have all the food that they quickly cook on the stove whenever their power briefly comes back on. So it's like a lightly fried egg. Um, Quentin fries borrowed fish fingers over the gas. It's just uh, not like camping at all. Basically getting by food for the most part. But there is Um, a lot of it mentioned. With some cakes. But I did like the focus on the fact that it would be hard for them to procure food without money Money, and without um, power and not being able to cook. um, They can barely even leave their house. I liked, I really liked the focus on like what their day-to-day life was like during this period. And a lot of that centered around food. Um, And I love the moments when they'd all just kind of be despairing. Then the goon would be like, I'm hungry. Like, are you making dinner tonight? And it's like, oh yeah, you're still here. Yeah, you're still here waiting for us to feed (laughs) you. We're feeding you (laughs) five times a day and you're very hungry. So overall, pretty good pretend food. I did enjoy it. I will be eating a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. Oh yeah. So let's choose our badass ladies and rank them on the badass lady meter. My baddest lady is Awful, or Anthea, as her actual name is. Awful is not her actual name. And I rate her 
delicious wines of all kinds when she's a few years to be older. Drunk at an appropriate time. Yes, <laughs> and in appropriate moderation. Yes, yeah. Don't don't go too shwasty with we it. We are all about responsible drinking here at Dragon Baby. <laughs> I'm just laughing because please drink responsibly. I mean, of course. <laughs> I also just adored awful she's such a wonderful character and now i want to have a baby girl and name her awful Uh. (laughs) um but i'm going to choose catriona Mm. um who is also a really great character um i don't know why she's married to quentin yeah um she does not need him and we don't we actually see like a completely fractious relationship with the two of them. I don't they think we ever lot. see a moment of like love, romance or harmony outside of when, and they don't even do this together. They have separate conversations with Howard about how he was adopted, yeah. but how they love him and how he was, um, you know, an incredible part of the family right away. They actually both were very, I thought, like good and responsible in their discussions with him yeah, about it. They were just like, you you were a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Like they treated him properly, you know, which is what you tell someone who's adopted. Like we loved you so much yeah. that we chose you, you know? Right. Um, but... But outside of that, which, yeah, they, they don't have that conversation with him together. They're, they're always kind of separated. And if they are together, they're fighting. So having a, a, a row. Yeah. Um, but but I love seeing her at her work. I love that she gets Howard's horrible school orchestra working a little bit better. <laughs> Fixes some things in there. And that's a gift. Yeah. Um, and I she just seems like a really interesting person and someone that I would enjoy spending time with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my uh, my rating for her is um, a divorce. <laughs> Brutal. Hey, divorce can be good. It can. We were just talking to my mother-in-law yeah. two hours ago about how her friend is getting divorced and mentioned it to her. And she said, congratulations. Yeah. And her friend said, Thank you. Everyone is being so down about it, but it's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my rating for Katriona is a divorce. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I also want to mention that this book was adapted into a six part mini series by the BBC no in ninety two. Um and Diana Wynne Jones was, she said she was closely involved with it, but the screenwriter didn't want to keep it very close to the book. And so they were kind of at odds. But I'm curious, I'm really curious about that. I wonder if that is on the internet or if that has faded away. Okay, the pictures are very funny. I'm going to put up a review of it on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, and it has some, okay, three screenshots from a few different moments in the series. Um, And I just sent you one of the goon with the family. Um, It's in black and white. I don't know if it was, if that's just edited for this or if the show was in black and white for some reason it's got an 8.5 out of 10 on imdb.com so that doesn't not bad because you know there aren't any weirdos on imdb or anything like that yeah (laughs) 
I just, every time I end up looking at anything that an IMDb user has written, like under an actor's profile or a, a movie or something, it's like a bizarre screed. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. Right, because anyone it's a strange can post place. on IMDb. It's a strange and, place. And yeah, I've read some pretty wild yeah. stuff there too. It's a strange place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll put we'll put up some of these um, images on, yeah, on our website. Yeah. com. So let's, with that, let's transition into our little outro. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you everyone who recommended this book. Absolutely loved reading it. Um, we keep saying we're trying to fix our episode delays and then we don't. So I won't make any promises, but we will continue on. Our next book will be The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. We're just talking about you, Neil. Excited to cover that. Yeah, just because we like to connect DWJ and Neil because they were good friends. Um, So that'll come out someday. (laughs) If you want to know when, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. As I mentioned, our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And since we're unpredictable, it'll show up in your feed when it exists. And please check out my art Instagram, which I'll be, now that things have settled a bit, I'll be posting more on there. It is Pig and Doodles, uh, P-I-G-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S on Instagram. Weird art, nature stuff, spooky. Check it out. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.